in hospital first and then Alan came later and I didn't know that yet so I was going to take him some meals and he said he's also in hospital. So I said he must use the hospital menu. It's really nice food. So he has, and, but they're both out now, so that's good. Um, it's good to see a lot of kids here. Um, we've got the young parents picnic today. There are still some of you going, all right. Um, so look, we have no fixed program for this. I don't even know what time we're going to meet there, and I know it's just after church. So if you know where the Basin Reserve is, you go to the Basin Reserve. Um, once we've met here, please don't leave early, because none of us are going to be there yet. Um, but just go down to the Basin Reserve, go down to the bottom area there, and we will find each other. Bring your own chairs and whatever you're going to do there. If you want to go early and have lunch, that's it. We'll just spend a bit of time, whoever pitches up there. Um, Sandra was uh, kind of behind this, so um, we'll just get there and make it work. Grand. The AGM, that is definitely coming up, um, unless the Lord comes first, of course. Um, 4th of May at 7 p.m., and I'm guilty as well. We need our ministry reports in. Uh, we need to now seriously get them in, people. So if you still need to put in a ministry report, we need to get those in to Rosalie. The days are running out now to get those prepared. I see Bo's got a birthday coming up. Oh, true. Very good, Bo. And Viv. Where's Viv? Woo! Birthday, Viv. Very good. Thir both on the same day, 13th of April. Hey, very good. Um, that was all I had. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's just pray and then I'll hand over to John. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we can gather together here on this specific morning to come and worship together again as a combined church. Lord, so many of us still can't make it for various reasons. But Lord, we know that we can meet now. And so Lord, we give you praise. Thank you that you are our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us on the cross. And as we hear all about that this morning and leading into this next week, as our minds are once again refocused on your great sacrifice for us, Lord Jesus, May we not spurn that great gift. May we live lives of obedience to you. Lives which please you because of the blood of Jesus Christ on our lives. And Lord, we know that you haven't left us alone. You've given us your helper, the Spirit. And Spirit, we ask, Lord, that as we live our lives, we know that you will help us. Lord, may we be sensitive to what you're saying to us. And Lord, may we just be obedient. May we not kick against the goads, but may we be obedient to you. And as you teach us those lessons in life, and as you grow us to be more like Jesus Christ, may we learn those lessons quickly. Lord, thank you that we can come here and worship you, our Father. Thank you that as we sing hymns and songs of praise, that we come as sin-tainted believers. But we know, Lord, that you take that sin away and that we can come and sing as purified saints before you. And so, Lord, take our words of worship. May it reflect what's happening in our hearts. And may you be glorified, we pray. Be glorified now, Lord, with open hearts that we have and voices raised to you. 
We give you praise, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, John. Are we there? Can you hear me? Thank you. Um, just by way of introduction this morning, uh, Kelvin and even Colin Lasky sometimes challenge us to step aside from going through the motions of singing and to embrace the content and the meaning of the words we sing. In the language of and the lyrics of psalms and hymns, we find profound biblical truths. Truths about God, his nature and character, his love for his people, the work and sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins and certain eternal death. And of course, we praise the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. He is here today. He's working in our hearts, opening our heart, uh, opening our eyes, bringing us here and unstopping our ears. The promised Holy Spirit is our comforter who sustains us. So our songs are an expression of our congregational worship to our triune God. And God has many names, and each one reveals to us something of his personhood and character. Our first song uses some of the ancient Hebrew names for God. So if you have a, an NIV Bible, has anyone got thick Bibles with them? Not skinny Bibles? Yes, yes, then well done, thank you. And if it happens to be an NIV translation, if you'd like to um, turn to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. I can hear pages turning. It's a good sign. So it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Okay. So, for those of you who have got Bibles, NIVs particularly, um, at the end of God Almighty, you have a little wee A sitting up there above it. Anyone got that? Yes? Thank you. Alice, would you like to tell us what it, that little A means? Can you go down to the bottom of the page and find what that reference is? The Hebrew for God Almighty is El Shaddai. Very good. And for those of you who've got the New Living Translation, even better, it's actually in the text. It says, God Almighty, dash, El Shaddai. So, if you have um, considered that, that is the title of our song, El Shaddai. And if you look up on the screen there, you can see that the words for El Shaddai means God Almighty. 
And so the, the song from Michael Carr that we're going to be singing this morning has also got other Hebrew in the text. So um, if the next word, if you wouldn't mind going over to the next slide. And El Elyon. Actually, El is the word for God. Elyon is, means God Most High. God Most High. And Na Adonai means please, my Lord. Adonai is Lord. But it's different to the Lord that you saw earlier in that text, which is capital L-O-R-D. Right? That is the word Yahweh, which is translated as L-O-R-D in big text in our Bibles. So not to be confused with the Lord here in our song, but the same sentiment. Please, my Lord. And if we go on to the next, ver next slide, please. Thank you very much. And we'll, we will also be singing And that's actually based on Psalm 18, verse 1, which says in Hebrew, usually translated, I love you, O Lord, my strength. However, the songwriter has added that little word na in there. It's so the text becomes, I love you, please my Lord, you are my strength. So we're going to sing now this wonderful song, El Shaddai. Thank you. 
song. We'd like just the ladies to sing the first verses. Even in our worship, we can be fallible. 
Okay, um, pleased to say that um, Alice has offered to uh, lead the children in Sunday school this morning. So if children, if you'd like to uh, head out to your Sunday school, uh, we'd be very grateful. And hopefully everybody, when they came in this morning, they picked up a communion pottle. Has anyone not got one of these? Everyone's got one? That's great. Um, JB, would you like to come up and lead us in communion now? Thank you very much. Good morning. Morning, everybody. <laughs> Wonderful. So we gather today um, at the Lord's table to celebrate the new covenant. And for the reading, I'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 11, um, starting off from 27 to 31. And then we'll go to 23 to 26 after that. The Bible reads, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then... And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. When we come to the table, it is about, about grace or judgment, because both affect our views of what we are doing. You see, I was one of those people that sometimes used to not do communion because you know, it was a bad week and... I felt really guilty about how bad it was through thoughts, deeds, and I didn't feel worthy. But is all of a sudden, what's grace? You see, Christ died for your sins. Was his death not sufficient? You see, because one week you'd have it. Ah, oh, it was me. I was, I was the one that was succeeding. I had a good week. And there's a couple of sins. Oh, you're sure you'll overlook them. But the thing is, God said it was finished. He died once and for all, for all our sins. So when we come here, is God sufficient? Was his grace enough? It's not that we don't look at ourselves and because we love God, 
But there's so many other blessings that we overlook when it isn't enough. Because we are supposed to be humble when we come to him. And this is the time that we're going to be humble. We're going to reflect on the things that we haven't done right. But you see, we need that humble side. And even Paul had a humble side. And it's for our good. Sometimes we stumble. And it should not be that you stumble. That's why we reflect. You're supposed to do better. But in the reflection, you've got the right kind of heart to approach God. You're thankful enough for what he's done because he died for those very sins which you think about. So give two minutes that you can reflect on, on this last time and how, how you are in front of God. Because it does ask us to um, examine ourselves truly. Okay, those who um, 
just as a reminder, that we take these, this communion is for those who have made a firm commitment to Christ as their personal saviour and king. Secondly, if those who are participating, if you could all drink the juice in unison as a sign of our unity in Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he, he was betrayed, took bread. Oops. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink the body and cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, JB. It's sobering to reflect upon the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have hope. And this uh, next song reflects that. So if you'd like to stand and join with us as we sing again.
Don't spring at the word. <coughs> We're going to ask him that Christ has truly shown for us. Just before we come to God's Word, um, I know last week quite a few of you took in, uh, these little booklets, um, the Hope for All booklet. Um, 
This was meant for you to read and then to give to someone else, even just one person. And if you're really brave, two people. We've still got two piles of them left at the back there. Uh, if you've got neighbors around you, if they haven't got the no circulars uh, sticker on their post box, um, I'd even sneak one in there, but no, don't. Um, put one of these in their post box. Um, who knows who it reaches? Who knows? The Lord uses His Word to reach people, but He takes us to take it there. And so I really urge you, make that brave thing and give one of these to one person. And then pray for them and see what the Lord does. We either believe He does this or He doesn't. He changes hearts. And so let's do that in obedience to Him. Let's just come before our Lord and let's, as we've sung now, ask Him just to prepare our hearts as we open His Word. Lord, thank You that we've gathered here for worship this morning. Thank You that it's good to see each other and that we can enjoy being together. But Lord, the greater thing is that we can be together with you right here among us in that special way that you have when you meet with us, when we gather as your people. Lord, thank you that we've had the opportunity in the service to confess our sins before you, to prepare our hearts, to be reminded of Jesus and his great sacrifice for us. And now, Lord, as we open your word as well, it's your breathed out word to us. May we not take this lightly. As we open your word, may we open your word with expectant hearts, expecting you to speak to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the ability. Lord, just shove me out the way and speak to your people. I pray. Speak to your people. Speak to every single one of us. We need your word. We need your spirit's guidance. We need the love of Jesus Christ made practical in our lives. Use your word now for your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, John trumpeted the NIV, so I'm going to read from the ESV and then use the NLT as my text. How's that? Anyone else got anything else? Yep, bring them along. As long as it's God's Word, bring it along so we can hear His Word. So we've been studying uh, the book of Hebrews, and we're making quite good progress. Um, I wanted to do the whole of chapter 10, but as John reminded me earlier in the week, I, th I think you've bitten off a bit much. And it came true. Um, on Friday afternoon, I decided I'm going to have to divide this into two. And so we're getting the first part this Sunday and then the next part when we gather around Hebrews again. So this morning we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10. And we're looking at verses 19 to 25 specifically. 19 to 25, and if you go and read the whole context here, it runs right through to verse 39. It's all speaking about perseverance, Christian perseverance in the faith. 
And so uh, if you're feeling a bit jaded this morning, and uh, you're feeling a bit weak on the knees, and it's not from lots of praying, just from trying to slog through life, then God's Word comes to you this morning and says, Perseverance is to be found in Jesus Christ. And it gives us practical steps of how we can persevere. And so it's a great passage. Let's read together then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. So in the ESV. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day, with a capital D, drawing near. Well, what's God saying to us through this passage this morning? He's speaking about perseverance. Last weekend, when I was down in Wellington, uh, in, sorry, in uh, Christchurch with my daughter visiting the Grandy, we went to the Canterbury Museum, and one of the exhibits there that I showed Quinn was um, the exhibit of Shackleton's crew that they left behind on Elephant Island. So when Ernest Shackleton, or Sir Ernest Shackleton, if I can use his full title, when he um, lost his first ship um, in Antarctica, he somehow managed to cobble together a ship, so th uh, another boat, so that he could go and find help. But he couldn't take everyone, and so he left some of his crew on Elephant Island. And it was really harsh conditions there. There's not much there. They could eat a few birds, and then it was starting to really run, run low. So they had to try and cobble together boats or a small boat and try and go to a neighboring island where they could find more food. And um, at Canterbury Museum, they've got this, it looks just like sticks tied together with bits of string. But that's actually all they had, it, just bushes. And they took the strongest branches and tied those together and then um, put canvas under all that. And then the men got in that and they tried to sail. Amazing. Perseverance. And when they interviewed the survivors, because not all of them survived, when they interviewed the survivors, they asked them, how did you persevere? And they said, well, it is because Ernest said he was coming back for us. He was going to find help and come back for us. And we trusted him. So they trusted this person and his words, so much so that they could persevere for, for a long time on this island. Endurance athletes use different techniques. Now, I'm no runner. I used to do short-term 100-meter sprints. That's it. The race was over. 
But long-term, uh, long-endurance athletes use dif different techniques in their minds. They break up the whole race into sections in their minds, and then like you eat an elephant, you run one section at a time in your mind. And then what they also really need is a picture that they'll go to if they're really finding that they can't carry on anymore. They have a picture that they go to in their minds to try and push them through. So they go to their favorite island, or I don't know what they go to, steak. And then what they also do is they think back, and that's the third technique they use. They think back on previous races and how they were in the same position, but they made it. And so they try and motivate themselves to push on in this endurance race. And this passage in front of us, Hebrews chapter 10, teaches us about Christian endurance. And the second part of the passage we'll do next time warns us about not enduring and falling away. And so let's look at this Christian endurance that he's speaking to us about. And the question that we need to answer this morning is this. Are you in for the long haul in your Christian walk? Are you in for the long haul? Because the Christian walk isn't a 100-meter sprint. It's an endurance race. Scripture says we need to learn endurance. Now, having said that, it's not about our works, right? We know the framework around this, as we've been going through Hebrews, is that Christ does the work of changing us. And the Christianese word for that is? Starts with an S. Sanctification. Thank you, church. He does the work of sanctification. He does the work of making us to be more like Christ. And the moment Christ reappears, we are going to be made perfect, as He's promised. That's His work. He changes us to be like Christ. But there's something we've got to do too. We have a participation with Christ, and that is the word holiness. And that's our everyday walking to be like Christ, imitating Jesus Christ, right? And that's the hard part. So, do we need classes now on mind games and visualization and long-term strategies for our minds? I can start them if you want them, except I won't. Because it's a waste of time. Because Hebrews is speaking to us about something else. He's speaking to us about Christian endurance. He's speaking to us as about our endurance as Christ followers. And it's based on, not visualization techniques or a picture, but it's based on reality. Endurance is based on reality. What reality? We've been looking in Hebrews. What's the reality? Christ physically died in our place. It wasn't a spiritual thing. He died for us, physically. He actually took our sins on himself. It's not just a spiritual concept. He took your sin and my sin on himself in reality. He paid the full price for our guilt before God. He was in reality separated from the Father because he was paying for our sin. And he then physically rose from the dead. It's not a rumor. It's not a Christian thing that we like to believe in. He rose 
from the dead reality. And he literally ascended to heaven, where he actually rules now. Reality. Our hope is based on reality. Your and my endurance in this race is based on reality. It's not a picture we make and then strive for a picture. Do you get the point? Our faith, our endurance is reality-based. And therefore, we can trust Christ fully in this. The question is, do we? Because when life gets hard, that's where the trust is sometimes absent, right? It's an old story. It's probably told by many thousands of pastors because it's a really good one. But the old tightrope walker going over the Niagara Falls with his long pole. And there were crowds around watching this man. And it's a death-defying act because if you've ever been there or seen pictures, it's a massive chasm to cross. And there's a small man going across with his large stick, balancing. And so he shouted to the people as he said, Do you trust that I can do this? And everyone shouted, Yes! Do you really trust that I can do this? Yes! The cries went wild. He said, I need one volunteer to climb on my back. Zero. No one volunteered. Why? Because their words and their trust didn't match. Aren't we a bit like that sometimes? You see, we express complete confidence in Jesus Christ, but then we don't trust Him in our actions when life comes against us, when we need endurance. And so, based on Christ's sacrifice on earth and Christ's position in heaven, we can trust Him when the going gets tough in life. What do we call this trust during adversity? Trust during adversity is called, it's the E word, Endurance, trust during adversity. It's called perseverance. And what does this look like with clothes on and boots on? Well, the Bible here in this text gives us four let us statements. Now, the ESV only gives us three because it kind of expands on the one. But the NLT gives us four let us statements. You'll notice them there. Verse 22, 23, 24, and 25. Let us do something. And if we, if we put into practice these let us's, then we will, we will grow perseverance and endurance in our lives. So let's see what happens. First one is this one. And remember, there are two things here now. There's two key words that we need to... Um, take hold of this morning. The one is there's an action, and then the other keyword is together. And you're going to find a lot of together today. Together means you and me, us, the church. Action together. Right, let's see what he's telling us to do. Verse, verse 19 to 22, I'm summing up. He says, Let us enter the heavenlies boldly. Verse 22 in my text says this Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. You see, the key here is all, it's all about access. Access to who? Access to God. Where? In the heavens. It's all about access. How do we get there? It's not in your own confidence. 
It's not on your own abilities that you can get into heaven. It's not based on who you are that you get into heaven. You've got to come into heaven and gain access to God His way. It says, He has the new way. Dear brothers, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way, verse 20, through the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus opened the way. It's a new way. Why is it a new way? Well, Hebrews is always comparing old to new. The old way was limited access, priests once a year, and you had to bring lots of sacrifices, stacks of blood being spilt. Now we've got a new way to enter, and that is Jesus has started the new covenant. He has started the new covenant under his son. There is a new agreement under his son. And he says, come through my son. It's the living way. Why is it the living way? Because Christ lives forever. He's not going to die again. He lives forever. It's a once for all sacrifice he made for us. And it's through the curtain. Now we did that a bit last week. When Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain, that thick woven curtain that separated people from God, that limited people into God's access, into God's presence, was torn in two from top to bottom. And when Christ died, an access was made to God. That temple curtain was torn. Why? Because Christ gave himself on the cross. And it symbolized that there was now direct access into God's presence, into the holy of holies itself for both Jew and Gentile. But that doesn't mean you can just waltz into God's presence any old way you like. You can't come under your own steam. You can't come based on your own goodness. That temple curtain was torn in two at great cost. What was the cost of that temple curtain being torn into? Christ's blood was shed for you and I. He took my sin on himself. He took the sin of all of you, if you're born again, on himself. And my friend, if you're not yet born again, Christ took your, the price for your sin on himself too, if you will only bend the knee to him. And so we come through Christ. We have to enter through His blood. In other words, as Hebrews has said to us before, we've got to come in Christ into the presence of the Father. And we don't just come into heaven. We come, the word there is right into God's presence. Right into God's presence is the word that's used. Verse 22 says, Nothing there's nothing between us and God when we come into his presence. Think of that. In the Old Testament, they feared if they came into God's presence, they'd die. And they did, if they didn't come properly. But we can now come into his presence, right into his presence. Nothing separating at us. Why? Because Christ is present there with us. And he is in his position. He rules over God's house. And so we come with his authority and within Christ into God's presence. And so there's this massive and this beautiful invitation open to you and I. We can come into God's presence. God welcomes us in. It's not a threat anymore. He says, come to me. My son will make that possible. And he has. And why do we come? Here's our text, verse 
21. Our consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, we did that again last week. Our consciences were sprinkled. The Old Testament um, priests used to take blood and sprinkle it on various items and on people. And that way they were, they were seen as purified. And before they came, they had to go and wash in that, in that water outside of the camp, which had all the ashes of the sacrificed animals in it. So they had to take that water, put it on themselves, so that they'd come in a purified state and be sprinkled. But we don't. You see, we come because our consciences, where we are guilty and feel guilty all the time, have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, which is sacrificed for us. And our bodies have been washed clean with pure water. Now, it's not saying you need baptism to be a believer, but baptism shows what's already happened in your life. Purified water. You have been there with Christ in that water, and you have risen with Him to new life. And so you come in a state of holiness before God. Who do we thank for all this? Jesus Christ. So we don't come on our own, but we come boldly into the presence of God. Let us come boldly if you want perseverance in your life. Secondly, verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Here's another let us for you. Second one, if you want perseverance in your life, then Hold tightly to the confession of your hope. Now, if you're a believer here, at some time in your life, you confessed, Jesus is Lord of my life. I bow my knee to you, Lord. You are Lord of my life. You are the one who's the one controlling my life now. My friend, if you are starting to fade in the walk, hold tightly to that expression of faith that you made in Christ. I'm going to expand on this, so don't worry. Hold tightly to that expression, and our text says, without wavering. Why? Because, says the text, for he who promised is faithful. You see, it's not about the confession, but about who you've confessed. Jesus Christ. Pietro Walker. Who have you confessed? Jesus Christ, who saved me. Now get on his back. Hold to that confession of faith. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, He made certain promises to you. There are many He made to you. And they all give hope. And I'm just going to give you two for time's sake. Matthew 28, 20 says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is Christ going to keep that promise to you? Yes, He will. He said He will be with you. He will be with you till when? To the very end of the age. When's that? Until he comes and then forever. He will do it. So when you're going through the ups and downs of life, remember, I'm not alone. Christ said he will be with me forever. Hold that promise. Another promise. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that, you, so that, so that they would have life and have it abundantly. When you look at your life now and you sometimes wonder, man, is this abundant life really? He either made you the promise or he didn't. 
And you might be going through stuff where it's harder, but he said, I came to bring you abundant life, and he will do it. So trust him in that, even though you're going through a dark patch. And you will learn perseverance. And so what I'm saying to you through the text this morning is have faith which is hopeful. In other words, have faith which is full of hope. That he will keep those promises to you. And the word used here is he will keep those promises is just fall down into them. You know, when you come home after a heavy day and there's that beautiful armchair in the lounge, you just go bang and just lie there for a while. Fall back into those promises of Christ. Go past the tipping point. Let gravity do its work. Fall back into the promises of Christ. Rest in them. He will keep his promises to you. And if you trust him like that, you will learn perseverance. The old reformers, they spoke about this phrase. We don't hear much anymore today. It's called the perseverance of the saints. Man, there ain't much perseverance happening these days. A little bit of thing that comes against us and we seem to fall over as believers. We need to persevere in Christ. What are saints? We are those who are in Christ, right? And so we need to persevere in Him. Now, please listen to what I'm going to say. Perseverance through holding on to Christ's promises is not something we do to be saved. But it is evidence that we are saved. I'm going to repeat that. Perseverance through holding on to Christ's promises is not something we do to be saved, but it is evidence that you are saved. The very fact that you are persevering doesn't earn you the right to get into heaven one day. There are very strong-willed people on this earth. Many can persevere without Christ. But none of those will enter heaven without Him. If you do persevere, it is evidence that you are saved. And so you might become discouraged or frustrated or occasionally fall into a sinful habit. But you will hold fast the confession of His hope without wavering. Why? Because you know He is faithful. And so sometimes God's answers may seem to be slow in coming. You've been praying for someone for years or you've been praying for something in your own life for years. And it doesn't seem to be that God's hearing that and answering. He is. Persevere in that prayer. Trust Him in it. He will come through for you in the end. He will always do what He has said He will do. Trust His promises to you. And so go through the uncomfortableness and the painfulness of life. But trust Christ. There's a second part to our confession, and that's a public confession. You see, in a society like ours, where God is not loved or His standards not honored, where God's Word is widely ignored and the Christian faith often dismissed, you and I as believers must be firm and unswerving in our confession of hope. Why? Because if you say you're a Christian and you don't live like a Christian, the world is watching. And Christ gets discredited. Not you. They laugh at you. Christ gets discredited in the eyes of the world. So hold fast. Even through dark times, hold fast that confession of faith. 
he is the one who's been glorified when you do. So let us hold tightly to our confession of faith. Let us come boldly into the presence of God. And as we do so, we live right in the face of God. Um, JB talked about that a few weeks ago. We live coram Deo, in the face of God. So let us come boldly before him. There's a third one here, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I love this one. If you don't listen carefully, you're going to come out with the wrong message here. You see, many of these Jewish believers were isolated. We know about the book of Hebrews, why it was written. Jewish believers were getting discouraged because they'd come to the faith, but they'd been ostracized by their families, the communities, and the business community. They couldn't have a living. They couldn't live. And so many of them were ended up in conditions of starvation because of Christ. And so this book of Hebrews was written to encourage these Jewish believers to stay with the faith, not to go back to Judaism for the sake of family, friendship, and all that comes with it. You see, many of them are starting to falter in their walks, and they were starting to falter so that they could get back to the comforts of belonging and being accepted by others. And Isn't that the situation of many of our youth today too? They name the name of Christ. Other youth don't. And they get ostracized for it. And so the pressure's on to come back into the fold of the unsaved. Same thing. And so the writer of the Hebrews reminds these believers that another mark of true faith in Christ is love for each other and looking out for each other as we walk this life together. You see, the truth is, whether you like it or not, none of us can survive on our own. You can't make it on your own. If you want perseverance, you can't make it on your own. You're going to need other people. And you need to put your pride in your pocket and know that you are going to need others in your life, as I have to. And the Bible here calls us to have fellowship with each other. What does that mean? To serve others and to allow others to serve us. To love others. And to allow them to love us. That's the hardest thing sometimes. I'm alright, I can do this. Allow people to serve you when you need it. Why do we say this? Because we call to this by scripture. You see, loving each other will help us to persevere in our own walks. And love is not just a feeling, it's actions. And the word here is the word paroxysmos. Uh, you all know what that means, right? Anyone? Uh, yes, thank you, Dave. Yes, do that again. Thank you. Yeah, that's kind of what it means in actions. Paroxysm. To irritate or to exasperate. So now you're thinking, hey? That's the negative form of the word. The way it's used here in Scripture, the same word, but the positive way it's used is the word stir up. Stir up each other. Not to anger. Don't jab each other and make each other upset. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying stir up each other. What for? To think of ways which you can love and do good works. Wow. The word used here is the word used for coals. So coal in the fireplace, you know what happens if you just leave coals there? 
the oxygen level kind of drops down and then you've got to kind of stoke it with a stick or poker to make it liven up again and get some heat. That's the word being used here. We are here to poke at each other. Yay, I want to come to church. In a positive way, we're here to stir up life in each other. That's what the expression there says. Stir up each other for what? For love and good works. How does that work? You see, as a believer, I'm to look at my fellow believer. I'm going to pick on JB now, all right? I've got to look at my fellow believer, JB, and I've got to say, Lord, give me the wisdom. How can I stir up JB to more love and to good works? How can I help him? When I look at my sister in Christ, how can I help my sister to be a better mother of her kids? What can I do, Lord? How can I stir her up in the good way, remember? When my friend is struggling with the aging body or the mind starting to go, how can I get alongside my friend? Lord, show me. Give me wisdom to stir up. You can't do that in isolation. We need each other for that. You can't stir up a coal in isolation. A coal in isolation dies. We need each other. And so we need to be thinking, says Scripture, how we can stir up each other. Now, this is contra nature. You see, our human nature says, look out for yourself first. Our human nature says, feather my own nest, make sure I'm comfortable. But Scripture says we are to look out for each other. We are to look out for each other when the going gets tough. We are to help each other to persevere. Because as I help my brother and my sister to persevere, guess what? I am being helped to persevere. It's a mutual thing. We are both persevering. And you may think you're coping well with life, but the turn will come in your life when you need others. And then allow them to help. It's the one another's. Let us motivate each other. You see, it's because together we will persevere. I learned this in the military. We did basic training. I hated basic training. But one big thing that came out of basic training in the military is they taught us to always look out for your buddy and as a group to get through things together. And then you've got those individuals who are the A, what do they call those, the A something personalities, right, whatever. They, no, I'm all right, I can do it on my own, and they're off doing their thing, and they get hammered, really hammered. Because in the real life situation of warfare, the one who's out on your own is the one who gets killed. None of us can make it on our own. It's the ones who look after each other, who come through as groups. They, those are the ones who achieve what they need to do. And so, Scripture says to us here, let us motivate each other to love and good works. Fourthly, verse 25 says this. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Now, the, the, the ESV kind of links this as part of motivating each other to love and good works, but it's a really, really important facet. You see, it's stated in the negative. It says, don't neglect the meeting together of each other as some are in the habit of doing. I'm sure you've all heard the statement, I used to belong to church, but... And then there's a whole book of reasons why people aren't going to church anymore. 
And it's based on pressures usually, business pressures, family pressures, social pressures, economic pressures, entertainment pressures, physical effort, whatever. You could actually index them in quite a long list. It's all about not coping with adversity. It's all about not learning holiness. A famous living person who's sitting here among us is at the back there. Andrew, reminded me this week that sometimes the good outdoes the best. You might think, I'm staying away from meeting with other believers this week, and it's a good reason. But is it the best for you? Is what Scripture's saying. I leave that to hang with every single person, including me. When we, those excuses come up, why? And it doesn't have to be this church. If you're away on holiday somewhere, just go to a church. And meet with believers. Meet with the body of Christ. They just wear a different badge, but they've got the same passport. The Lamb of God. Stir up one another to love and good works. Meet together. Don't neglect this. You see, neglect takes us away from these good things that are just best for us. And usually when, when someone's staying away and they haven't been coming to church for a while, and there's various reasons for that, they might not find the warmth and the care and concern that they were expecting. And yes, churches are guilty of that, many churches, including ours sometimes. We've got to work on it all the time. However, when you dig down a bit, you usually discover that this person is not doing well spiritually either. And these factors usually go together, staying away and spiritual backsliding or lack of perseverance. And this verse points to that. It's saying it starts with neglect. And neglect never starts suddenly. Ne neglect, as JB reminded us a few weeks back, is a slow fade issue. It happens slowly over time. And there's usually two reasons. The one is hurt. Someone has said something which hurt you, and even if they were in the wrong, and, or you didn't agree with them, you start to bear a grudge. And if you don't treat that, if you leave it untreated, that turns into something else. It turns into animosity. And animosity sounds like this. I couldn't be bothered with him anymore. And so you start to make excuses why you can't attend church or be with other believers. And very soon this has grown into a habit of staying away. And then you find your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is lukewarm. And later it's on life support. neglect the other one that could re uh, start this is habit you just get out of the habit of meeting together as the text says why because of circumstances and COVID's been a big one and been good reason why people have stayed away granted really good reason we were trying to stop the spread of this horrible thing but it's now getting to the end not true yet but it's getting to the end my appeal goes out from God's word as a pastor of the sheep that he has put here. We need to be meeting together regularly again. We need to get out of the bad habit of staying away. You see, watching online services, is, sorry to you guys out there, watching online services is not the same as being with God's people physically. You need to be prodded and poked to learn holiness. We need to come back to church. 
Because the Lord says so. Why? Because there's purpose in our coming. It says so that you can encourage one another. Why? Because there's urgency here. The day of his return is drawing near. The King James said it like this. It is near at hand. It's as if you put out your hand and there's his return. That's how close it is. And so we need to be together learning perseverance. Encouraging each other in our walks before the Lord. Why? Because we've got a task to fulfill. What does Matthew say to us? Remember Matthew? It's a good old verse. It's up in the, in the hall over here if you go through next week. It says this, Matthew 28, 18. I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My friend, you can learn to play the remote. You can learn to play the guitar by YouTube, right? But the only real playing you'll ever get is if you play with a band or with someone else or live. We can't bring people into the kingdom by remote. They can hear the message. But we need to be discipling. And discipling means getting in each other's faces and living before God. Helping each other along the way. You can't do that with a remote person. You can't do that via the internet. You can encourage, but not disciple. We need to be together. We need to go into all the world. We can't stay on our couches anymore. We can't make any more virtual contacts and hope that they're going to come into the kingdom. We've got to do life with them. So what do we do with this? And this um, application is going to be really short, so don't give up. It's really easy, but really difficult. Let us means what? Thank you, Dave. Let us means do it. It just means do it. That's the difficult bit. How do we build up our perseverance so that we're there for the long haul? We enter boldly into God's presence daily in Christ. We live before His face. Let us do that. We hold tightly to our hope and our confession in Jesus Christ, personally and publicly. Let us do that. We stir up each other to love and good works. Church, let us do that. Poke each other in the right way. We faithfully meet together to worship God and for mutual strengthening. Let's continue to do that. And as we do, as we are being obedient, Christ is busy changing us to be like His Son. And we will persevere. Until when? Until He reappears. Lord Jesus, do that in us. Do that in me. Do that in this church. For your glory. Amen.
Father God, you are our hope. You are our future. And we sing with the angels, Lord God, for Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you that we could be counted part of your family, engrafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you for your mercy. And Father, as we go forward in this week, we pray that we would carry those words of the sermon with us, that we would carry out your work here in this place, that we would not neglect meeting together. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of coming together again as a church today. We bless you and we thank you for that mercy and pray your blessing upon us in this coming week with all its trials, with all its brain fog, with all the other things of life, we pray that we would keep our eyes upon you firmly. And above all, proclaim Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone, we'll see you for Easter. Um, just remember our service on Friday is at 9 a.m. All right, and not at 10. And then on Sunday, it's normal time at 10. And if I can just speak to those people who are helping me with the, the whole wrapping of the cross thing, if I can just see you straight after now, please, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>